Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are in Revelation 14 tonight, and we are in the midst of studying God's prophecy about the final days of the earth's history. If you remember, in our prior studies, we've talked about the fact that the earth itself physically is dying uh, in the days of the Great Tribulation. The, the seas are out of order, trees are dying, grass is dying, uh, the skies are not the same, things are very different in this world's atmosphere and physical presence. Uh, and also, we have to remember this. During the last days of history, during the Great Tribulation, as I study God's Word, I am assured that the church is not here anymore. The church has been raptured to heaven. Uh, that, of course, then necessitates the calling of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses who cover the earth to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews coming back to the Savior. I, but I do want to remind you of this, something that perhaps people don't get or don't understand, and that is the church is missing, the church is gone, but the gospel is still being proclaimed. The church is not doing it anymore, but still people are being saved in that final seven years, and particularly in the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation when things are terrible on this earth. Do remember the words of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is certainly true in the church age, but it is also true throughout human history right to the last day of this earth's life. The Lord is not willing, is not desiring that any should perish. So that means that our job, our ministry, and the ministry of God's people throughout time is never to condemn people to hell, but rather it is always to sow seeds of the gospel and call people to that living Lord, Jesus Christ. And that's true even in the Great Tribulation. Jesus died on the cross that every person can be saved, and that is every person through the very last one who lives on this surface of the earth. Clifford Baptist Church stands to offer that hope, and we're to call the lost to the Savior, and that is true for every age. But the book of Revelation also promises, and this is not a threat, this is not an idle suggestion, it is a promise that sin, that unforgiven, hard-hearted sinners will be judged. That is the promise of God's Word. The door of salvation is always open, however... It is also true that for everyone who rejects the Lord, for everyone who turns Him away, for everyone who waits too long, for everyone who procrastinates, judgment will come. And that is the promise of the Bible as much as the promise of salvation through Christ to anyone who comes to Him. Now, I was talking to someone who said that he's really scared to preach on Revelation because these are such scary sermons and this is such a scary book. And it's true that this book can produce fear, but it produces fear only for the unsaved. 
There are words of great truth and great promise and great assurance in this book for we who are believers in that we know that we're going to live and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. This is not a book of fear for the believer, but it is a book of fear for the unbeliever. It is a book of truth about what will happen to the unbeliever. It's a book of truth about the judgment of those who turn Jesus Christ away. So it's a promise that sin and unforgiveness will indeed be judged. That's on your sheet. That word judged is there. We know that there is a message of absolute, here's another word for your sheet, a message of security for every believer. It is simply fully truthful, revealing to both the lost and the saved of what is going to happen when judgment comes or when the end of time comes. Now, as we read it, parts of Revelation make us ache in sorrow for the lost. It should fill us with a passion that not one person be lost because we know what they will face. Uh, The person who continuously turns Jesus away has an awful future ahead of them. We should have a passion that not one person in our family, that not one person in our circle would have to face Christ in judgment. Now, tonight is an awesome passage. And it lays out the full truth of God about unrepentant sinners. And that's what we're going to study tonight. This is not pleasant, but this is truth. And we're going to study it tonight. Some of Revelation is indeed hard preaching. I found that true in the book of Daniel. The prophecy of Daniel is hard preaching. Uh, This coming Sunday is not an easy sermon. However, we don't want to skip over that which is truth in God's Word. We are not given the right to pick and choose that which is true and that which we can skip in God's Word. But every word is important. So some of these words that we're going to look at tonight are the hardest of the hard. So I want you to be ready for God's foretelling of judgment. We're going to center on Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. So open your Bible to that passage, 14, verses 14 through 20. This passage is foretelling the greatest battle of earth's history. This battle has not been fought yet. In fact, what we see in chapter 14 is a foretelling of the battle that's going to happen in chapter 16. Uh, This battle is called the Battle of Armageddon, and it actually takes place in that 16th chapter. But tonight, we're going to get a picture of what will happen in the Battle of Armageddon when the army of Jesus Christ meets the armies of the Antichrist. That's on the sheet. The army of Jesus meets the armies of the Antichrist, enemies of Jesus Christ in the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Armageddon. Now, according to John MacArthur, this valley stretches from northern Palestine southward through the area of Edom. The the valley of Armageddon is about 184 miles long. The battle of Armageddon is likened into a final harvest. You need to know that word. It is likened into a final harvest by the almighty harvester. So, let us... Turn to Revelation 14 and hear these mighty words from a mighty God about the judgment that he is going to carry out, beginning with verse 14. John says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one sat like unto the Son of Man, 
having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the cluster of of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. May God add his blessing to the reading of this powerful section of his word. Now, in this passage, what we are beholding is the appearance or the revelation of Jesus Christ. I remind you, the book of Revelation does not have an S on the end of it. The reason it doesn't is because we're looking at the one revelation of the one Son of God. This is a particular instance of His revelation. He is seated on a cloud. This is not a cloud of the sky like you saw in the sky today, but rather this is a cloud of Shekinah glory. This is a glory cloud that comes from God. It is similar to the cloud of God's glory and presence that led the Israelites through the wilderness. The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, the Shekinah glory cloud of God. On Jesus' head is a crown. It signifies that he alone is the king, that he alone is worthy to save, and also, on the other side of the coin, he alone is worthy to judge. In his hand is a sharp sickle. Now, I know that many of you know more about sickles than I do. I do know that it is a harvesting tool with a curved steel or iron blade that was used to cut grain. The sickle could be called a tool of destruction to bring that grain down from a standing position to a position of lying on the ground. How many of you would remember the steady use or the use of sickles for harvest back in the day? So there are some who remember the use of sickles long before uh, mechanization came. It was a hand instrument, uh, and there were mighty men and women who used those to bring in the harvest. But in this picture, in this passage, we see that Jesus' sickle is going to bring a swift harvest of judgment upon sinners. This is a picture of Jesus judging sinners, those who have rebelled against the message of salvation and the message of the grace of God that comes through the cross of the Savior. Now, you know the old saying that you will reap what you sow. That is exactly the picture that we see lived out in this passage. Since Adam, human beings have been planting seeds of sin 
and rebellion and malice and disbelief and discontent and anger. And those seeds spread out throughout human history have grown into an awful crop of rebellion against God, rebellion expressed against the Savior. And what we see in Revelation chapter 14 is not Jesus the Redeemer, but we see Jesus as judge against those who have turned him away. So this is a realistic passage. It is one that's not easy, but it is one that is filled with God's truth. Perhaps the world has been around so long that many people have been lulled into the thought by Satan that God is never going to bring retribution, that we can go as far as we want to go and God is not going to punish, that we can make any decisions that we want to make and that God will not bring judgment against humanity. And I believe that we're in the throes of that this day. We're seeing decisions made every day that take us farther and farther away from the Word and the righteousness of God. And many say, God will never even the score. That's not going to happen. We can make any decisions that we want. But here, what we see is that the Lord God says that He waits for this harvest of sin to be ripe. And that at the exact moment of his timing, he is going to cut it all down. He's going to make it all right. He's going to exact the harvest against sin and sinners. So Jesus here is seen as the great harvester of sin. Sin has grown into this tremendous crop on the earth. And of course, we know that it it reaches its zenith. It reaches its high point with the rule of uh, the Antichrist and earth is running crazy, and sin is running crazy on the earth. And though people are being saved, there are so many who have expressed utter rebellion against God. Revelation chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, an angel cries to Jesus that the harvest is ripe, that it is time to thrust in his sickle of judgment. Again, remember that just like our days are numbered according to the Word of God, so too are the days of this earth numbered. We're not wandering around in God's timetable, but God has marked every day. We are closer to the end of human history today than we were yesterday. By God's timetable, we are on a holy timing of God. And what is developing here is Jesus' final and comprehensive destruction of sin and rebellion, and of course that culminates with the destruction of Satan himself. This is not a pretty picture, but this is indeed the whole truth of God. When Jesus judges sin, it will be like the harvester that is cutting down the grain. It will be like the vineyard keeper who pulls the the grapes from the vine and treads them in a wine press to make wine. However, this is not a wine of sweetness. This is not a wine that anyone would want, but rather it's the bitter wine of God's wrath and God's punishment as it is tread out in the wine press of God. In the Old and New Testament day, men and women would get into the wine press barefoot and they would literally, physically stomp out all of the juice from the grapes. They would tread in that wine press until the grapes were completely crushed and all the juice was extracted from the grape. The juice would spurt from that grape as they tread on the grapes. And much of the time, 
In that day, when they wore robes, the, the, the juice from the grape would stain the hem of their garment. Though they didn't have shoes on, they still had a robe on of some length so that when the juice spurted from the grape, it would often stain their robe. So when they got out of the wine press, they were stained uh, somewhere up their body with the grape juice that was coming out of the grapes. So it is as we think about the battle of Armageddon. When we picture this final battle of sinful man against a holy God, this is what the Bible says we will see. Jesus has thrust in his sharp sickle of judgment to destroy sin. Verse 17, you will notice it says that he is assisted by another angel with a sickle. And the clusters of sin grapes that are now ripe to be harvested or cast into a great wine press. This is not a pleasant thing. This is an awful picture of punishment. This represents lost people in wickedness, in sin, and they are facing God's punishment in this moment. In this wine press of the lost, Jesus is treading on and destroying every person who rejected him, who rejected his holy offer of forgiveness, his offer of grace. He is treading out those lives that turn him away over and over and over again. Remember, when Jesus came the first time, he shed his precious blood for every person. However, we know when Jesus comes this time, in this final judgment of Armageddon, he is trotting down the wicked, and their blood is going to stain him. He shed his blood for us. His own blood, whatever little bit of garment he had on the old rugged cross, what garment he had on on the cross was stained by his own blood. But according to this picture of the wine press that he has on holy robes, his robes will now be stained by the blood of his rejectors, the blood of of the sinful, those who turned him away. Jesus will finally and eternally tread sin and sinners underfoot. That's almost hard to hear, isn't it? But that is God's truth. According to God's original curse on Satan the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, God foretells that when Jesus dies, that Satan is going to bruise his heel Satan tried to kill Jesus on the cross, but of course you know that Jesus rose victorious on the third day. So Satan damaged him, but he did not kill Jesus. It was nothing more than a flesh wound because Jesus arose from the grave to life everlasting. But when Armageddon comes, according to Genesis chapter 3, Revelation chapter 14, Jesus is going to bruise Satan's head. In other words, it will be a mortal wound. It will be a deathly wound. The image of Jesus treading the wine press of wrath, splashed by the blood of hard-hearted sinners, may upset us. It's not a pleasant picture at all. And many might say, well, you know, that doesn't sound like an act of a loving God. That doesn't sound like something that God who died for us on a cross would do. However, while it is absolutely true 
to a degree that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend. God is love. That is absolutely, absolutely the truth of God's Word. God's love extends so deep and so far that God Himself would rather lay down His own life than to, than to see His creation die. That is love. That's a love that we can't even begin to logically understand. God is love. But part of God's perfect love is perfect justice. Perfect love is balanced with perfect justice, and God will not be mocked. We see that throughout the Word, and we see this is the final tally in which God takes out all who have ever mocked Him. He offers grace. He offers salvation to all people, but the time is going to come when God is going to shut the door of opportunity for grace. This, friends, is the truth of God's Word. The promise of the Bible is this. You will, every man, woman who's ever lived, will meet Jesus one day, and we will meet him either as our Savior or our judge. There's no in-between. He's either going to be our Savior or our judge on that day. Here's the way J. Vernon McGee puts it. The gentle Jesus who wouldn't swat a fly whom we have heard so much about, is just not the Jesus of the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but He is also the judge of the world. If you do not accept His blood shed for you on Calvary's cross, then your blood will be shed. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 14. Now, remember, we are looking at this last horrific battle of rebellion against the holiness of God in the valley of Hinnom in Armageddon, and it will take place on this earthly plot of land according to the Word. I have heard a preacher, and I don't remember which one it was, but he said, I have been to the Holy Land, uh, maybe Chip Williams could tell us this, that... This piece of land that's described as the Valley of Armageddon is the most perfect battleground in all the world. Uh, it, 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 it lays in such a way that for whatever reason to a military person, it's the most perfect battleground in all the world. Most conservative theologians believe that when Jesus returns for this battle of Armageddon, that he will face at least 200 million earthly soldiers human soldiers led by the hatred and the wickedness of Satan through the Antichrist. They will come against Jesus Christ in the battle of Armageddon. As Jesus treads the winepress of his wrath against sin in this battle of Armageddon, it says that these soldiers are going to be slain by the holiness of God. According to what I see in the Word, it looks like not one of them will survive. If it's 200 million, all 200 million will die in their rebellion against a holy God. If you remember the 144,000 evangelists, every one of them survived when they came to heaven. When Jesus set them apart to proclaim the gospel, he dedicated every one of those lives, and not one of them was lost. Every one of them ended up in heaven. And so it is also true, everyone that comes against him in rebellion will not make it through the battle. It says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 20, that their blood in this 180-mile-long valley will be up to the horse's bridles. About four feet deep, the blood of the soldiers 
will run in that valley. You know, you think that's almost literally incomprehensible. I went to a, a presentation this week about the flood in Nelson County in August of 1969, and it's almost incomprehensible that in a period of about six hours that somewhere between 27 and 34 inches of rain fell in Nelson County. I think, Pastor Clyde, I think that's a world record perhaps. Uh, it's a world record of rainfall in a certain period of time. It's almost incomprehensible that little Davis Creek that you can almost step over would become such a deluge that it could kill family after family after family. But that's what happened. It, it doesn't seem possible, but that was true. It happened in 1969. Believe me, that's just a little example of what's going to happen in the Battle of Armageddon. Literally, Horses' bridles are going to touch the blood of the soldiers slain in that battle. People's bloodshed because they rebelled against the God of heaven. Now, again, and I've consulted many sources in these sermons, but I come back to J. Vernon McGee once again because I agree with his words uh, when he says, Let me make it clear that I make no apology for these scenes of judgment God has not asked me to apologize for his word. He has told me to give it out. We need to face up to the facts. Sin is an awful thing. Sin is in this world. You and I are sinners, and you and I merit the judgment of God. It is but by his grace that we are saved. What a wonderful word from J. Vernon McGee when he said, It's not my job to apologize for God. It's my job to tell you what God says, even when it's hard. These are hard words, but this is what God says. Can we dismiss this word of destruction? I don't think so. I know not, because it is within God's word. Should we let a lost person walk away without sharing the good news of Christ? We should not, because we know what they're facing. As the people of God who are believers in this book, we know what they're facing. We know that they're facing that wine press of the judgment of God. And that should impassion us even more to reach out to that one who is lost because we don't want a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a good friend or someone who is kin to us or someone who works with us to face that wine press of God's judgment. We know what's going to happen. Therefore, we should have that evangelistic spirit to want to pull them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't save them. But we have to introduce Jesus to them. Amen? He is in charge of the salvation. He's in charge of that holy work of touching the heart. But we have that responsibility to bring them to hear the good news of Christ. We should never let a lost person walk away without hearing about the Savior. Thankfully, as we look at the Bible tonight, we realize that over and above it all is the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation and his grace, but we never forget the other side of that same coin, that there's judgment for the lost. Let me give you a few passages that support what I'm saying to you. Just write these references down. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and these words will probably be familiar to you. The, the word says, "'Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet.'" They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But, here's the other side of the coin, but if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, I was very familiar with the come now, let's reason together, your sins will be white, though they are red, they will be cleansed, but you have to read on and see there's something that's a sister to that passage if you don't receive the forgiveness of God. Another one that you might want to write down is on the very last page of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now here's the other side of the coin. But unto you that fear my name, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. You see both sides of the same coin, judgment but salvation. One more to write down from the New Testament, one that you know well, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now listen to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, I heard a preacher say just in the last few weeks on radio as I was traveling along, all of our children know John 3.16, and we see that as one of the most comforting verses in all of the Bible. But do notice what John 3.16 truly says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. There's the decision. There's a converse to that. You have to be a believer so that you shall not perish. But there's a decision, even in John 3, 16, that which we see as one of the most comforting verses of the Bible still has the decision in it, so that the believer will not perish. It is through and through God's Word, and sometimes we might even miss it. It's so much interwoven in the Word. John, uh, so Revelation 14 confirms that Clifford Baptist Church stands on the dividing line of heaven and hell. We are the ones commissioned to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ because we know the end of the book and we know the destiny of the saved and the unsaved. We know that every person in your life and in my life and in this world will meet Jesus, literally will meet Jesus face to face, eye to eye, and they will only meet him in one of two ways, as Savior or as Judge. I would shudder to think about meeting him as judge, especially after reading Revelation 14. Praise God, we will meet him as Savior. We are, we are covered by his blood shed on the old rugged cross to forgive our sins, to cover our sins, to purchase our redemption through his grace. 
Uh, we are so thankful and grateful that we know him as Savior, but how we should ache for a world that does not know him, for what they face. We should, be, we should be full here every week. We should have to pull out chairs because of this good news that we know that we need to pull people to. Tonight, if you've never received Jesus as Savior, my prayer is that you will hear this invitation, that you will have heard the truth of God's word in this place, that you will meet the Lord Jesus as judge. However, tonight, your eternity can change if you simply say, Lord, I do believe that your blood was shed for me on the old rugged cross, that you paid the price for my sin, and all of us sin and all of us fall short of glory of God. So if you've never received him, I promise you, you need this message. You are a sinner just as I have been a sinner and am a sinner, but you can be forgiven just as I've been forgiven by the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. And you just need to say yes to him and invite him to be your savior.